Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was recorded at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Good morning. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, I come to you today from Bethlehem Lutheran Church, your sister church in St. Louis, Missouri. We are so grateful and thankful for you. And I bring you greetings from the, the saints there. Uh, and it's, it's a good day to be in Nebraska today with each and every one of you. Um, I want to focus in on a particular text uh, for our sermon today. Um, and it's just one verse, uh, John chapter 11. Uh, verse 35. If you want to get there in your Bibles, you can. If you know it by heart, then that's wonderful. Um, John chapter 11, verse 35. We'll get there together and we'll read that verse together. John chapter 11, 35. And it reads, as you get there, let's read it together. Jesus wept. One more time. John chapter 11, 35. Let's get there together. John chapter 11, 35, it says, just one verse, Jesus wept. Just in case we didn't get it, let's read it one more time together. John chapter 11, verse 35, and it reads, Jesus wept. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, open up our minds to your word, Lord. Open up our hearts to your word. Let it be you that fills us up. Move us out of the way. Let it be all about you at this time. We're thankful for you and what you've done, especially your work on the cross, Jesus. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how are you doing? You ever been asked that question? How are you doing? The last few months, we've been asked that question a lot at our church. We've been asked that question a lot because just six months ago yesterday, um, our other senior pastor, Pastor Schmicki, died suddenly in his office at Bethlehem. And everything changed for us. So for months and months and months, people have been asking us that question, how are you doing, right? And usually, our corporate answer is the same as what maybe our personal answers would be. Oh, everything's great. I I got this that's going on, or or we're doing that, or or the family has started this, or, or I'm very excited about this thing that's happening, right? How are you doing? You know, you, you automatically want to respond with all the good stuff or, or what seems to be good from the outside looking in. I've answered that question a lot the last few months. How are you doing? I can say this, and, and this is true. I've, asked in the, I've answered that question with our EAC, our after-school program ministry, is growing. That's how we're doing. We went from two campuses during the school year to three campuses during the school year. And in the summertime, we're going from three summer camps to, we hope this next summer, four summer camps. Though many people don't know about that just yet, okay? (laughs) How are you doing? I've answered that with saying, well, we've been uh, instilling the gospel of hope into hundreds of people on a daily basis at Bethlehem, not only by the way that we preach and we teach and, and what we do in ministry in the city in a place that many people think is hopeless and godless, we, we still give the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've said that we've also been able to step in with physical means as well. This Friday, in fact, we are getting ready to give away over 250 turkey Thanksgiving meals to families in one singular day. We're excited about that. 
How you doing? Our, our Sunday morning has been wonderful. We've increased our, our Sunday morning worship from 10 to 15% on any given Sunday morning since the incident happened. Numerically, we're doing great, right? We have baptized between that moment and now 15 people, all of which are older than infant age and ushered them into the kingdom of God through the water and the word. Praise God for that. Amen. Fifth, I said praise God for that. Amen. Okay, okay. We got to warm up this morning, right? How you doing? That's the, that's the most exciting high of ministry when you get to see someone baptized into the kingdom of God. The name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit spoken over them. One Sunday, I baptized eight people in a row, one after the other, after the other, after the other. It's a beautiful thing. How are you doing? The answer to that question is we started a new micro school. Uh, it's in combination with Christ Community Lutheran School around us where we can give quality Lutheran Christian education to a cohort of individuals, of kids, to be able to learn and grow in a safe space where they can talk about Jesus. We, we got fantastic leaders across the board who are working really hard at what they do. Our answer to how you doing has been all these different things that have been going on, but honestly and truly, the answer to how you doing is not exactly what you're doing, but it's how you're feeling. See, the real answer to that question, how are you doing, is that over the last six months, ever since May the 12th, our world has completely changed. The real answer to how are you doing is that when I got that phone call from Mrs. Schmicky, Pastor Schmicky's wife, saying we can't find him, but his truck is here, and I was out to dinner with my wife, and I immediately said we need to leave and go down to the church, that our lives changed, Right? The real answer to how you doing is when I went up to that office and I saw him there, sleeping it looked like almost, one second here, the next second in eternity with Christ. The real answer to how you doing is when they took him out of the church, our entire church gathered together outside on a hot evening in May. The real answer to how you doing is the prayer that happened after that. The way that people wailed and screamed and cried, the real answer to how you're doing is not too great. See, it, it's our temptation as people to respond with all the positive things that we can say. But we don't often want to get into the emotional and messy things that come with that question. There's one verse here, two words Jesus wept. Jesus hears about a friend of his that has passed away, Lazarus, and he doesn't respond with all the good things. He doesn't respond with all the positive stuff. Instead, he lets his emotions take over, and he weeps. He cries. Now, why does Jesus do that? I want to talk to you today about three reasons why Jesus wept. The first reason is, because he was human. 
See, yeah, we, we know that, that Jesus is 100% God, right? That he came down from heaven in the form of a baby. We're getting ready to celebrate that in a little bit in Christmas time. He grew up just like us, right? And went through pain just like us. We know that he is the God that we put on the cross. We know that because of what he's done on the cross, we have redemption. We know all that information. But sometimes, all too often, we forget that he's also 100% human. When he stubs his toe, he says, ouch, just like us. When, when he pricked his finger, he would bleed just like us. The blood that came from his hands when nails were put in them, that was real. The, the cry that he let out, that was real. He felt pain. He felt emotions. He had relationships with people. He was a, a brother and a son. Jesus was 100% God and 100% human. And he just found out that his friend, Lazarus, died. So he wept. In fact, the scriptures tell us that this kind of weeping is not a loud sobbing and a loud screaming like Martha and Mary were doing, the sisters of Lazarus. But instead, it was a quiet and a soft weeping where one would allow the tears to flow. He wept. You know... There was a time last year where I got a phone call um, from my, uh, my wife that she had said, hey, we're okay, everything's fine, but check your texts. And I did, and it was um, her car, and it was in a ditch, and it was completely crunched up. And at that time, I completely panicked, right? Because I'm thinking, how are you okay, right? The car's not okay, and what, where were the kids at, and, and what happened, and, and I'm completely just discombobulated. And, and at that moment, I remember that that Sunday was the first time I had ever cried in worship. I'm not a big emotional person, you know, I, I typically don't cry very often. And, and that Sunday I cried because I, I was thanking God that what could have been a situation where I lost my whole family, God covered and protected the car. And they could say it was the way the wind blew or what happened or the way that the ditch was situated, but I call it God and his hand of protection over my family. And I remember that Sunday after church, I apologized to people at church for crying during the prayers and and I remember Pastor Schnicky came up to me and he said, there will come a time that tears will flow all too easily because all that you have been put through and all you have to thank God for. And I remember thinking to him, I am never going to be a crybaby at church, right? If I could look back now, I'd know that this was a part of that time. Brothers and sisters, weeping is a natural part of human emotion, a natural part of who we are. And we weep, we wept at Bethlehem for many months. We still do because uh, who is it that, that will not only teach other people how to fish, but, but will also go with them and show them how to do it? Who, who is it that, that would not only provide for his family, but provide for an entire community? Who is it that, that would be a friend to people that had no friends, that would bring hope to the, the hopeless people? Who is it that, that, that would come up to people who had nothing and show 
show them something more to live for? Who is it that, that would give the clothes off his back and the shoes off his feet? Who is it that was willing to go through death? And I'm not talking about John Schmicky as the pastor. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. But he walked so closely with Jesus that it was easy to confuse the both of them. You see, what you want out of a, a good pastor, what you want out of a good church worker, is somebody that brings the pointer finger to Jesus so often that you just forget they're even there. Amen? Okay, we're waking up. We got this. <laughs> it's perfectly okay to weep. So Jesus wept. Human emotion. He also wept because it was personal. He wept because it was personal. You see, Jesus had healed people from afar before. Don't you remember back to Mark 7 when the Syrophoenician woman's uh, daughter is, uh, the, the, the woman comes to Jesus pleading that, that he would heal her demon-possessed daughter. Something's wrong with her. Do you remember this? And Jesus said, yep, she's healed. Your faith has healed her. She goes back and that's what happens, Right? Miles and miles away. Or, or do you remember when the centurion servant story in Matthew 8 occurred, when, when, when it was said, oh, Jesus, you're not worthy to come to my house, but, but, but something's wrong in this situation. There's healing hands that are needed. Would you put your hands on it? And Jesus says, yep, it's already done. Jesus was doing remote work before any of us were. <laughs> but when Jesus hears about his friend Lazarus, he immediately stops what he's doing and he goes physically to be with the family because it was personal. I mean, he could have done it with his mouth, but he said, I want to be there face to face with this situation. My brothers and sisters, something moves our God to be there personally for us. You know, it, it's sort of like our kids, right? Uh, when they're very little and they're up in their bedrooms crying. I remember when my wife and I had very little children, when they were itsy bitsy, when they were baby aged, the bed would be warm and the kids would be crying. And they would cry and cry and cry and, 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 and we'd say to ourselves, maybe for a moment we try to steal an extra 20 seconds of sleep. But there was something in the cry of our children that drew us out and drew us towards them to comfort them. It's the same exact thing with Jesus. There's something in the cry of, of people around. There's something in it that becomes personal for him. And so Jesus says, I have to come close to this situation. I have to come close to the messiness. We see this with children all the time at Bethlehem. Children who are in situations that are upside down and, and, and youth and families that are in, in backward situation because of what's happened with sin and the way sin has affected the world. It's one of those things where when Christ comes close to it, when the word of God gets spoken over it, things happen that could never have happened before when we had our hands on it. It's personal for Jesus. And the thing about it that that really is a gut punch to everything else is that death is something that's coming for each of us as an outcome 
of sin. We're told that, that death is the end result of what happens with the sickness, that we all shall die, right? I mean, at church, we, we have this particular spot that I could point to in our church where I've seen so many different caskets of so many different sizes of people that are laid right before me. So many different people from, from children all the way up to older adults. It's our destination one day to be right there. I've seen it happen because of accidents or, or sudden results of things, but I've also seen it happen because of drug addiction or violence or, or, or aging or cancer or all those different things. Death comes, and when it comes, it shuts us down. But aren't we glad that Jesus takes an offense like death personally? And what he does is he drops everything and he comes. And here's the real good news. Jesus weeps because he sees the bigger picture. There's two vantage points in this story of, of Lazarus. There's the vantage point of outside the tomb and the vantage point of inside the tomb. Outside the tomb, what people see is that their friend or their brother is in there dead. And he will not come back out. Their vantage point is our vantage point when we look at the grave. Someone is buried. Someone's gone. We're, we're not going to see them again, right? And when Jesus comes, Jesus comes with different eyes that pour down tears than the eyes that we have. Jesus sees that while this person has died on this side of heaven, that he's doing something greater and better that brings them into the next. You see, Jesus sees what's going on inside the tomb. Inside the tomb, what's happening is Lazarus is being raised back to life, and he comes back out. And it's a representation in this miracle of what Jesus is going to do for each and every one of us one day. That even though somebody's going to stand in that spot and say goodbye to us and think that it's the final word that you cannot have the final say if you are a man or a woman. The only person who has the final say is Jesus Christ himself. And what he says is, I am the resurrection, I am the life. He who believes in me will live even though they should die. And then he calls us out. And the big picture comes together. A reconciliation, a family reunion of all of us together in one place, in one space. And the tears do not flow the same. They're not tears of sadness, but tears of joy as we're reconciled with each other and as we are reunited in him. Jesus weeps because he sees the bigger picture that we just aren't privy to. The story goes of a young boy who um, was dropped off by the school bus driver at the same spot, and he's dropped off there each and every day. And the school bus driver becomes very concerned about this drop-off spot. And he says to himself, I ought to say something to the school district about where I'm dropping this young boy off at. See, he's dropping him off at a graveyard. 
He's dropping all the other kids off at houses or apartment buildings. But every day, the boy's stop is a graveyard. And, and the bus driver becomes so concerned about it, he shares it with the school like he thinks he, he, he said he was going to. And they bring a social worker to come onto the bus and to shadow the driver. This boy gets off at his stop, and, and just like every other day, he, he thinks he's waving goodbye to the driver. And instead, the social worker steps out, and she says, I'm going to follow you home. Is that okay? The boy trusted her, so he said, sure. And so he said, my house is right there. And she said, well, son, that's a graveyard. Nobody lives there. And the boy said, well, just follow me. And a little scared and very cautiously, she follows the boy through this graveyard. And they're walking for a little bit, and they're walking past tombstones. And she says, where do you live? I need you to tell me right now, because we're in a place of death. He said, oh, I don't live here. Through this graveyard, I live right on the other side. And she stepped up to one of the most beautiful, largest, decked-out mansions that she had ever been to in her entire life. He said, in order to get to my house on the other side, the mansion, we have to go through the graveyard first. Isn't that just like Jesus? In order to get to that place where many rooms are prepared for each and every one of us, the, the mansion that our Father has built for us, we go through that place of death. But as the psalm says, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. For who is with us? Our shepherd that guides us. Death is not the end. It's not the end for John. It's not the end for whoever you love. Jesus weeps because he sees the bigger picture and he knows about the mansion on the other side. So when they ask how you're doing, say how you really feel, but also tell them where you're headed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.